Uh, Jesus, when he was about 40 days old, he and his parents went to the temple. What were the two things that they were doing at the temple? Offering a sacrifice to purify... Mary and Joseph's purification. And? His circumcision? Circumcision was the eighth day. Oh, it was to, to redeem the firstborn. Yes, to present Jesus as the firstborn and redeem him as the firstborn. So those were the two purposes they had for going to the temple. Uh, however, they meet two people in the temple. And that becomes kind of the theme of this uh, part. So uh, Luke two twenty five to 35. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Okay. So, you have here um, the encounter with Simeon. What do you know about Simeon? Righteous. He was a good man. A righteous man. What was he looking for? Consolation. (laughs) Looking for the consolation of Israel. Look down to verse 38. What was Anna and others looking for? Redemption. Redemption of Jerusalem. And look at 23, uh, verse uh, 51. What was Joseph of Arimathea waiting for? 23, 51. Kingdom of God. So you see there was a class of devout people in Israel who were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. I don't know how much they understood the details of that, but they were looking for it. They were in expectation of that. Simeon was one of those. Um, there is a point being stressed in 25, 26, and 27, and that is the relationship between Simeon and who? The Holy Spirit. You see that the Holy Spirit was on him in verse 25. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit in verse 26. And he came in the Spirit to the ten, to the temple in verse 27. Now, what is that telling us? Of, of use for us about Simeon. Why would we? Why would he stress he has the Holy Spirit? It indicated he was perhaps a prophet. I think so. And if he, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, we would expect that revelation to be trustworthy. Trustworthy, accurate, yeah. So I think we understand him to be saying things that are God-inspired, you know, in this situation. The Spirit seems to, in verse 27, have actually provided for the encounter. 
you know, he came in the Spirit into the temple. How would he have known when to go to the temple and see the Messiah if it hadn't been for the Spirit's work in him? And apparently the Spirit is who enabled him to speak what he did and give the reliable testimony about Jesus. This wasn't just some, you know, he was just kind of uh, insightful or he had a hunch. You know, this was the Holy Spirit upon him. And so he took Jesus into his arms and blessed God, praised God. And what does he say he can do now? He can die in peace. Yeah, because... He's seen the Messiah. He's seen the salvation of the Lord. If we've seen the Messiah with the eye of faith, we can die in peace as well. That's kind of uh, interesting. But that's uh, not just uh, him that was like that. Um... This is evidently the climax of his life. I mean, this is the time that God's people have been longing for. He's now seen the Messiah. Notice um, what he says in verse 30. He's seen what? Your salvation. Now look at 169. What did Zechariah say the Lord had raised up? Born <coughs> <coughs> of salvation. And in 71 salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all the haters. And he was, in verse 77, John was to give his people, well actually Jesus was to give his people the knowledge of salvation. salvation. A lot of emphasis on Jesus' role in salvation. The word Jesus means? Jehovah saves, something like that, salvation. So I mean the very word Jesus is an indication of that. So you know, this is this is uh, the salvation that he's prepared in the presence of all peoples. So this is the salvation not just for the Jews, but for others as well. And in fact, in verse 32, what does he say he was for the Gentiles? A light. A light of revelation. What is he for the Jews? Yeah. So he, he, he enlightens the Gentiles. He opens their eyes to see and he's the most glorious thing that ever came upon Israel. I mean, the greatest blessing Israel ever had. Remember the list of blessings Paul gives in Romans 9. The climax of that list is the Christ. That was the high point of all the blessings God gave to his people. And uh, notice what it calls Mary and Joseph in verse uh, 33. Father and mother. His father and mother. Not Jesus is their child, it's they're his parents. You know, already they're more identified as how they relate to Jesus, which is an indication of the importance of Jesus. And Simeon said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. So, what is that saying? It's appointed for the fall and rise. people are going to react to him differently. Yes. He is going to bring some people down and lift others up by their reaction to him. I agree. Jesus would divide people. His presence would divide people. You know, think about Judas despairs, Peter repents. One thief blasphemes, the other confesses. You know, people show by how they respond to Jesus their true colors. There's no neutrality. So Jesus is going to be a uh, appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, assigned to be opposed. There'd be a lot of opposition. And what does he say would happen to Mary? A sword will pierce even your own soul. There's going to be a lot of pain for Mary with this child. 
climaxing perhaps in Jesus' crucifixion, but there have been other painful moments for her in various ways. So that's Simeon's testimony. Thoughts and comments through this? I wonder when he got the message. I don't know. And I don't know when he found out that he was going to be able to see the child. Right. You know, he was told that by the Holy Spirit he would not see death until he'd seen the Lord Christ. But I don't know how old he was when he got that information. Yeah, because we always assume that the first, uh, you know, revelation of any kind was when, you know, the angel appeared to... Zachariah, yeah. Could right. have been before that. Right. right, so he's he's known at least for some time, but we have no idea if it was exactly. before that. Exactly. Similarly, in verse 36, Anna was a prophetess. Yes. I'm assuming that she was in the habit of receiving revelations, and she didn't just become a prophetess as soon as Gabriel appeared to Zechariah. I don't know about that. I mean, maybe she did. I I think it's possible that she's a prophetess because she prophesies right here. Yeah, so written after the fact, it's like, oh, this girl... Obviously, who was a prophetess because she said. Oh, okay. I, I don't know that, that, but I do think that's a possibility. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot we don't know, and it is possible that there were some kind of revelation prior to Zacharias to John. We have no specific record of. We were told that there wasn't going to be revelation for some period of time, right? Mm-hmm. Like there will be a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. No. I'm sure what that 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 means. That so we were not told that I don't going to be think years so. I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. I, I I don't think that time of praying the word of the Lord isn't that aimless. I don't know. <coughs> uh, I remember that passage, but I just don't remember where it is. About about that. That's, but I think I think it's aimless somewhere. But I don't know that I would necessarily say. Uh, that's what that is. Yeah, Amos eight eleven. Days are coming to us, the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the word of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the southeast. And they will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. That day the beautiful virgins and the young men will faint from thirst. As for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they will fall and not rise again. I don't know that I necessarily connect that with the intertestamental period. And Amos was quite a bit before that. And so I think it just may be in his day. You know. So the years of silence just meant we don't have recorded? It doesn't mean that people didn't hear from God and so on and so We forth. have no information that they did. We have no books in the Bible written during that period of time. But yes, I think that's correct. I think that's more our inference. You know, you have things like my inference that the reason he tells Daniel all that information throughout the intertestamental period is because they didn't have a contemporary prophet to interpret it for them. But that's my interpretation. I don't know that there's anything that forces that to be the case. That's what I would say. I don't know. Anybody got a better solution? I don't know that I've ever heard that really discussed. So somebody else may know something that I don't know. I'm trying to think about... I've read like First and Second Maccabees, and I'm trying to remember if even they, if any of them like claimed revelation. And I... I can't remember. It's been a while, and it's a terrible translation anyways, but... Yeah, I've read them, but it's been longer for me than for you, because it's probably about the time you were born I read them, so... 
<laughs> they've changed since then. <laughs> I don't think they've changed, but boy, it's been a while. Well, they certainly claim like miraculous, uh-huh. miraculous things happen. Yeah, but I don't know if they claimed like. I don't know that the Maccabees did, but I could be wrong. So yeah, I mean, those are good questions. I mean, like I always thought, for 400 years of silence. I think that's accurate, but I don't think there's something in the Bible that nails that down. I don't think there were prophets during that period of time, because I don't think there's any evidence there was. But I don't think that there's something that would be violated in the Bible if we found out there was. Certainly no public prophets with a message for all of Israel. Yeah, I mean, there was certainly nothing in the Bible. I mean, most of this period from Moses onward, you had prophets, you know, that are record something about them is recorded in the Bible. There's nothing recorded in the Bible about prophets in that form. But we see, you know, through the life of Jesus, people, it's like, well, could this be the one? It's like they're looking for that. Yes. Uh, and even here, you know, with the, with the stories so far that we've read, it's, uh, you know, waiting for it. I don't know, when you read it, you almost, I almost get the impression, like, Every day they look out the window, you know, waiting for it, you know. But in, I think in the same sense, we're doing the same thing today. Should be. Exactly. And I wonder, are we waiting for it? You know, do we do we look out the window every morning? You know, it's like, is there any anticipation at all? And there should be. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I think we need to be living in anticipation as they seem to have been. Yes, so I feel a lot of people today will be very surprised. Yeah. But I wonder if a lot of people then were the same, and it was these few that were, you know, it's just hard to get a sense of that just reading the story of how much they were anticipating it, or, you know, every time they went into the temple, were they hoping maybe they would, you know, hear something or or something like that. How many Jewish girls were hoping to be the mother of Messiah and things like that. Yeah. Yes, I mean, if they knew, there's just so many varying levels of that throughout that, you know, those that really knew it would have known the details, the city, and things like that. Then there's others later, it's like, you know, well, make sure nothing ever comes out of Nazareth because that's not even possible, you know, so they had no clue. <laughs> they wouldn't have known it was Nazareth from the prophecies, but there is a passage in John 7 where they said, oh, the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem, so it's not Jesus. Right, I guess the thing with Nazareth, there's no prophet ever came out of Nazareth when actually there there was, so that they were wrong in, in the old... Yeah, the prophet, no prophet came out of... Uh, what did they say? Wasn't it Nazareth? No, from Israel, right? No. No, because I'm talking from, about Jonah. From Galilee. Oh, is that from where? From Galilee, yeah. Okay. from Galilee. Yeah, well, John 7. Okay. And they were wrong, yeah, Jonah and Isaiah 9. So just stuff like that, certain people had no idea, that, and then others, it seems like they had the details, and it's like, oh, well, this must be the one, because <laughs> here it is, <laughs> just like it was said. Yeah, and probably is similar to what we would see today, that some people you know, understand way more and are more expected than others, yeah. And there had been at least a couple of possible like pseudo messiahs that had risen up and like there was a uh, someone who came along there's what in acts probably 
you know, remembered this guy and all these people went after him and then he was killed and it went away and you know, that kind of thing. That's true, other. especially in that time period leading up to the uh, war with Rome. But even before that, for a while, there had been some false messiahs. So, yeah, you have that, too, indicating that some people were expectant of that and, you know, took advantage of that expectation to try to palm themselves off as the one. <laughs> good good thoughts. And even, like, Judas Maccabees. The, the brothers Maccabees were trying to be saviors of the people, if not, like, the messiah messiah. Yeah, although they, I think God used them. Yeah. Well, positive. Yeah. Thirty-six to thirty-eight. And there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of eighty-four. And she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So, I mean, there's a lot uh, about Anna that would remind you of Simeon, almost, a female version of him in some ways. Um, We know a little bit about her background. She was from what tribe? Asher. So the ten tribes weren't lost. At least there's an Asherite uh, among them, which is interesting. And what kind of a person was she? Pretty devoted. Very much so. Never missed a temple service, fasting and prayers. You know, chose chose a lifetime of service over remarriage. Uh, A little (laughs) questionable whether she was a widow for 84 or she was a widow until she was a widow for 84 years or a widow until she was 84. She was a widow for 84 years. She was old. But even at 84, she was no spring chicken. And, uh, you know, but very devout. And uh, so she came up and began giving thanks to God and talked about him to those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So some were, and she lets them know about Jesus. So you've got Simeon and Anna both encountering Jesus, both people with expectations of redemption, both very exemplary people and ones that are praising God for what they find. Thoughts and comments? When it says she never left the temple, did that indicate she lived in the temple complex somewhere as a servant widow? I mean, it might or it might just be she was there all the time. You know, we say somebody's always in church. But we really don't mean they're always in the church assembly. We don't even mean they're always in the church building. But we say they're always in church. It's pretty cool to see her zeal never went down, even her old age. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, by 84 or whatever else she may have been, you know, you'd think you could retire. 39 and 40. When they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Okay, you see that Mary and Joseph are good models. They're doing everything according to the law. They returned to Galilee. Now, that covers a multitude of sins here. You know, they actually went to Egypt and came back and so forth. But Luke's just summarizing this part. 
they went back to Galilee. That's where Jesus was raised. And uh, he grew and became strong and increased in wisdom. The grace of God was upon him. It's interesting how little we know in the Gospels about Jesus' childhood. Really, the only big thing is the next event that will be told. The apocryphal Gospels, these books that were written that aren't inspired, have fulfilled, so supplied that lack. You know, and they tell about Jesus doing all kinds of uh, magic <laughs> tricks and stunts and one thing or another as a kid. But, you know, it's interesting. The Bible's much more sober in its presentation of Jesus. Thoughts and comments? All right, 41 to 50. <laughs> now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, and when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan, and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you are looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he made to them. So, they go up to Jerusalem to the uh, Passover. Jesus is 12. He goes up with <laughs> them. You know, this. They, they probably never forgot this. This was the year of the famous mix-up. You know... Uh, because they start back home a day's journey, and what are they assuming, Mary and Joseph? That he's with the other people in their caravan. Yeah, exactly. You know, they didn't realize Jesus wasn't along with the group. He's 12 years old. Are you a little surprised they hadn't maybe been a little more vigilant to make sure he was with the group? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I'm surprised. I I mean... a 12-year-old, though, I mean, Jewish custom today, at 12 you become a man, the bar mitzvah and all that. Uh, so he would have a fair amount of responsibility on his own. He wouldn't necessarily be like a 12-year-old today who's spoiled and doesn't know his way to the grocery store. Uh, I'd still want to check and see if Sasha was with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can understand that. Well, 12 is a really weird age. Like, you get really immature 12 years old, 12 year olds, and, like, really mature. So, depending on what kind of kid he was, which presumably he was <laughs> immature. <laughs> but I think it also has something to do with the family tradition. You know, I, all, all the Old Testament usually shows family for generations together. So why wouldn't they, you know, who knows, there were brothers, sisters, grandparents, everything else, all and the whole family just kind of mingling together, and they probably traveled. They obviously didn't think it was a big deal, so I'm assuming they traveled that way when they went there, and he was probably with the relatives, and they traveled away. And You and Dad did leave me in the car when I was like zero. <laughs> well, you know, I think there's several points, you know. It's kind of a curiosity, yeah curiosity does. I think there is a point to be made. You know, we are in this kind of overprotective culture and a little bit we have an unusual situation. 
your trapping wise. You know, I mean, we sent our kids on buses to town to, you know, do things for us when they were 10, 11 in Brazil. You know, I mean, that was normal. We did that. The other people did that. You know, and I mean, that's, I mean, in a place where you can do those sorts of things, I mean, that's okay. I mean, not every family do that, but it would be okay. I wonder if it doesn't also indicate that Jesus had a level of obedience and responsibility, that he wasn't the 12-year-old you're always hunting for and, you know, has to watch over him like a, you know, hawk to make sure he is where he needs to be. You know, probably you would expect Jesus would have been with and I would agree, I bet you there were other relatives and, you know, close friends and so forth. And, you know, it may almost be like, you know, coming home from church and, you know, you forget the two-year-old because he thought she had him and she thought he had him and, you know, or whatever. Maybe not the two-year-old, you'd have to have the car seat, but, you know, the ten-year-old, I don't know. Uh, so, I, I don't know, it's kind of curious. But can you imagine what they felt when they got to the end of that day and he's not with them? He's not, they... He wasn't. I mean, you know, wow. How would you feel as a parent in that situation? I'm thinking total freak out. Yeah, amen. <laughs> wow, terror. It, it reminds me, of course, I realize it was better for them than we'd been in Brazil. I probably told this a few times, but we've been in Brazil probably not even six months. When Kyle was, I guess, eight, probably, and eight and a half, maybe, and we were on a pedestrian street passing out flyers, me looking one direction, passing the people coming, him looking the opposite yeah. direction, passing the people going the other way. You know, they pretty much, even on a pedestrian street, you take the right-hand side of the, the sidewalk, you know. And uh, so we were pretty close to each other, but we were turned opposite directions, and somebody stopped and talked to me for a minute. And when I looked back to see Kyle, he wasn't there. I looked up and down, and he wasn't there. Whoa, that is probably the greatest terror I ever felt in my life. I screamed his name. You know, blonde-headed kids in Brazil <laughs> draw attention, and there was a shopkeeper or whatever right there that caught my attention. He had obviously been watching, and he pointed to the direction Kyle had gone. Kyle had lost me and had walked down, you know, probably uh, maybe... 30, 40 yards, you know, looking for me and was coming back toward me when I saw him. But it's like, wow, that was really scary. I can imagine this would have been frightening for them. And I mean, well, what can they do? They go back, you know, and look for him. I mean, one day out, one day back, one day hunting for him in Jerusalem. And where is he? He's in the only place <coughs> in Jerusalem that ever drew his interest in the temple. Yeah, exactly, where he, he thought they'd know to look for him in his father's house, talking to the teachers of the law, asking them questions, giving them answers. They're all shocked at his interest and depth of understanding. And when Mary sees Jesus, what does she say to him? Where have you been? Where, where have we been looking everywhere for you? Why'd you treat us this way? Now, do you see that as true to life? I thought she said, Son, why have you treated us this way? <laughs> Behold, your father and I have been anxious. <laughs> 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 if Jesus had a middle name, I suspect it was you. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Jesus, Renee. <laughs> 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 I thought about that. But I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Why? Well, they had been on edge for three days. And how did she really feel? Like, <laughs> like a mother. How did she really feel? Guilty. Absolutely. She felt guilty. You know, she's kind of trying to justify her negligence. You know, it's kind of like pointing the finger at Jesus when they're the parents. You know, why didn't they know he wasn't there? You know, but it's what we do. It's absolutely what we do. We're relieved to see him, but we're just kind of, you know, releasing the tension by blaming him. And, uh, you know, he said, well, why didn't you know? Why is it that you were looking for me? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? First recorded words of Jesus. And he's kind of disappointed they wouldn't recognize that supposed to be in his father's house. You know, and so by this time, Jesus understands God is his father. I mean, I have no understanding of how Jesus <coughs> grew into that. He does seem to have grown intellectually and in wisdom and so forth. He doesn't seem to have known everything about the scriptures here. He's asking questions. I think he grows up into that. But at this point, he does seem to understand He's got a special relationship with his father, and he doesn't mean Joseph. So that's interesting. Fascinating to think about. I think there's no way we're ever going to solve all that or understand that. God did that the right way. But that is interesting, sir. Is there a reason why he's not being accused of blasphemy here? Because he's claiming that God is his father, because this is God's house, and this is my father's house. Or was that a more traditional expression for the temple than it seems? Maybe not totally that, but I mean, calling God your father, other people could call God their father, too. You know, so I don't know. I mean, maybe, he, I don't know. He's a precocious child. Verse 50 may explain why they didn't view it that way, because they had no idea what he was talking about. They might not have even picked up on it, they might have been like, oh, he." they might have thought he was talking about Joseph at this point, with having no background. Although, yeah, Mary treasured all these things in her heart, verse 51. I don't know if that's statement specifically, though. So, yeah, I don't know. And it likely was just made in their presence and not in front Maybe of so. The that's okay. possible as well. The others. They wouldn't have given accused of the blasphemy. Yeah, I've had discussions with Brendan before about whether it, was he asking questions to find answers or was he asking questions just to get them to think. Um, I've been under the impression that he really was asking questions to get answers. I mean, I've always kind of thought at the point that he became, you know, all knowing was it when he received the Spirit? I mean, I know I'm. <laughs> Maybe. I think you could say that. I don't know the answer to that. I just don't think we know. Spirit exactly helped him that I mean, he helped him with the teaching. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I, I think the coming of the Spirit was an important thing for him, but exactly what his understanding was before that, I don't know. And didn't, it, was it part of the Jewish tradition for teaching with the rabbis and such, almost like a Socratic method where the teacher was sort of like asking these questions which would make you think and so the one asking the questions was 
the teacher, not the student. If that, I know yeah. I've thought that before, but I don't know why. If I it was a footnote in a funny Bible or something. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know the answer. <laughs> there was obviously something too about the age of twelve, because they've been there every year. He didn't right. do this at the age of eleven. He didn't do it at ten. At least not the extent. And I always wonder what he was thinking. I haven't seen mom, dad, uncle, Bill, or anybody for three days, but I guess they're okay. I'm gonna, I guess I'll sleep here in the temple. The tents are gone. I don't know where they went. <laughs> I suppose he assumed they'd be back for it. <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot we don't know. I mean, what did happen? Why wasn't he with them? Yeah, what did the people in the temple think? It's like, where are, you, where are your mom and dad? Stop asking questions. Young boy. <laughs> Run along. Well, he's asking good questions. The feast is over. You should go home now, boy. I don't know. Yeah, who fed him? Yeah, like I can understand if this was a couple of hours, but I'm totally confused by the three days. Thing. Well, where's he going to go? Well, like why didn't he go with them when they I don't know. Why didn't they go with into the temple? <laughs> I mean, Maybe it says they did. That, it says the full. They saved the full number of days, so it's not like they they had to slip out early right after communion and they left him behind at the building kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. he had no feastly obligations to be sticking around. But did, did he like sneak off, or did he like get left? Well. Or did he just get so engrossed in what he was doing there at the temple that he was like, mm. it's been three days? <laughs> but we have to assume he didn't do anything wrong here, right? I assume he didn't. But I would have been like, Mary, like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, he got left behind. Stay I think it took an awful long time to find him, though. Why would it take an entire day? Oh. I mean, ask Where do you people. look? Well, you ask people. Surely they know he's a strange kid at the temple. Asking a lot of questions. Whether the people I mean, in the temple know that, but they're not the He's temple. about this tall. He's got dark hair. And, <laughs> and oh I mean, my God, I know there's a strange kid. Well, but you're looking everywhere. You're talking to everybody. It takes a while to cover the bases. They didn't know to look in the temple. I think a day's a long time to find out. Well, I mean, how many places did they get? I don't know. Well, yeah. It's a whole city, and it was right after the feast, so there could still be a lot of people extra people, a lot of strangers in the city. And they've been talking them along the way, too, talking to different people. Stop yeah, did they not house. text all of Jerusalem and say that there was a missing phone call? <laughs> there should have been an Amber Alert. Amber Alert. <laughs> the first <Hello>. Amber Alert. <laughs> yeah. Alright, well, while you're thinking about that, um, you might think about this. What would you do if you were left behind in Jerusalem? I mean, whatever we say as to why, isn't it interesting that's where he goes and that's what he wants to do? Whatever the reason, whatever the situation, he was interested in the work. You know, would we be? You know, would we think, wow, I just had to endure seven days of that feast. I don't want any more of that temple. You know, let's, let's go out and play. You know, or whatever. So I think that's, that's uh, encouraging. He had a great involvement and eagerness for the word. You know, he was he was fascinated with it. It was important to him. And he was only twelve. I mean, I must say, we underestimate twelve. You know, there's plenty of twelve year olds who care a lot about the Bible and who 
are very eager to learn and grow, and they want it. So I don't think we ought to, you know, think a 12-year-old. But still, if a 12-year-old can be that excited about the Word of the Lord, why can't we? Thoughts and comments. And that's how he increased in wisdom and stature is because he put in the work to do that. It's, sure. it's not just something that happened by accident. We have to put in the work to do it. Good point. This was not the first time he'd been to Jerusalem. It wasn't the first time he'd been exposed to the Word of God. Obviously. So it's not like, oh, this is a shiny new toy. Right. That's why I'm okay. interested. No, he's, he's really interested. Yeah. And he knows something already. I right, 51 and 52. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So, I think it's interesting Jesus' attitude when he comes back to Nazareth. Because clearly there's some specialness about him and he understands some of that, but what's his attitude? Subjection. To his parents. I mean, you know, there's a way in which you could say he knows more than they do. And he certainly, I mean, there's a way in which he's greater than they are, but he still is submissive to him. He doesn't assume some attitude of superiority. You know, and that probably tells you that whatever the reason he was back behind in Jerusalem, it was no sign of some adolescent rebellion or something like that. Um, it's interesting that he keeps growing, you know, growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Kind of reminds you of what it said about John back in 180. He continued to grow and become strong in spirit. Uh, not so much in favor with man, especially in John's case, he was more solitary. Reminds you of what's said about Samuel in 1 Samuel 2.26 to 25 or 6. Um, you know, I wouldn't have expected Jesus to have grown. But he didn't evidently come to the end of the world with a fully programmed brain like a robot or something. So he does grow up. And, you know, he matures. And, you know, but, but, but submissive and Mary got a lot in her heart by now. She's got more and more stuff she puts in there. Trying to understand what's going on. Thoughts and comments. Do you think she forgot at times that he was special and there's the whole angel thing and, you know? I don't think she forgot that. Why would you think she did? Because there's times when it appears that... If he would do something that would make her think he's an ordinary child or if he was always special. I assume she always knew he was special. She didn't understand him, but all right. Chapter three, verses one to six. Now, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region.